Hey, welcome to 412 Connections. My name is Larry Grayway. I'm here with Heather Kroos, who founded this podcast a couple years ago, and it used to be called Mylar, My Look at Recovery. And we've kind of switched it up this year. We used 412 because it says this, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and can conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And we're here to talk about how mental health um, affects our lives and how we can recover and how we need each other as a part of that recovery process. And so again, I'm here with Heather and she's gonna get us kicked off today. Good afternoon and welcome back to 412 Connections. Today we are gonna have a very special episode because I kicked Larry out and brought in his better half, Jennifer. Hello. And their spawn, Micah. Hi. <laughs> Micah, you have your own podcast. It's on what, like season 20 now? I think it's like season five. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Recently logged. And you guys talk about movies and TV shows. Yeah, pretty much. And video games. Anything we feel in the mood to revolving around movies. Revolving <laughs> around a story. And so that was why I wanted to do this with you. Your brother didn't feel quite comfortable, which I respect, and so we got Jennifer instead. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, one of those episodes that I've been wanting to do, actually, for a while now. And it just kind of made sense. And traditionally, October is Horror Month. Yeah. And, you know, because obviously a mental illness is a scary thing, it seemed to fit that we focus on the media and mental illness. And when they get it right, and more often when they get it wrong, yeah, and maybe some of your thoughts so that it's not just me talking. Yes, our thoughts. Our thoughts. We're so intelligent. We have so many thoughts. At least half of you is. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very it's very interesting to see a lot of these things. And you mentioned specifically, you know, Halloween in October, since that's the time we're going for, especially around then in TV shows, movies, all sorts of things. It definitely leans more towards mental health and mental illness, and usually not in a good way. <laughs> usually not, no. And even even today, I know we're talking also about just media in general, how mental health is presented throughout media, and it's also usually not in a good way. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely still a stigma very much attached to whenever mental health is presented, presented in this way that's very negative I guess like not realistic (laughs) a lot of a lot of portrayals in media that I have personally seen are a lot more not inherently negative anymore but a lot more condescending you're not wrong you mentioned Halloween and if you've noticed one of the things that I've seen is a some of the more popular Halloween costumes are like the psychotic. Mm, yeah. The psych patient, the crazy psych nurse, and all this other stuff. And like, 
it just doesn't sit well with me. For one thing, psych hospitals aren't exactly sexy. <laughs> no. Yeah. They um. They definitely take all of that to a, a weird place, and I think that stems. I think all of that stems from. You know the nineteen. 19- 30s and 40s yeah, definitely. So media the... and movies and stories that took it to that place and how so not social media how <laughs> how um, mental health was looked at back then was so awful yeah like no a lot of that is directly tied in because horror as a genre and as something that's widely celebrated as it is became what it was got its roots in in the 30s and 40s and even something if we're talking about horror and I know we're saving movies specifically for another time but Psycho the movie in itself essentially birthed the horror genre that we know today almost every single bit of it and and it stemmed from somebody that suffered from yeah it's it has its roots in you know mental illness yes yes so for nobody is surprised to hear that we pre-record these and we're getting ready to go into Dragon Con, which there's a lot of comic book influence in that. And one of the things that I find particularly disturbing is the Batman villains mm, yeah. all end up at Arkham Asylum. Oh, yes. But most of them are portrayed as somebody with a mental illness. Um, yeah, most every major Batman villain is... And Arkham Asylum itself is always treated in a very weird way, depending on the adaptation of Batman that you're looking at. And it can be portrayed as something like really, really dark or something really clinical and anything in between from like just a revolving door for people to go through when they need to, oh, send this villain off to Arkham Asylum and then they leave two comic books later or a place that's genuinely awful to be in. Right, and I think most of the time that we see it portrayed in movies, it's always the dark Arkham that we get from that. So Because, again, it is very tantalizing for storytellers to use shorthand in what they're doing, and they think, you know, mental asylum, ooh, that's kind of spooky because of the roots <laughs> that, that all of, like, you know, the, the cultural context that is carried with that no, you're through right. media. Which, uh, sadly, is very much portrayed in the quote-unquote normal media. Yeah. Absolutely. Also known as the used-to-be-unbiased-in-actual-news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I remember a time when news was unbiased. <laughs> if you go back when it was actually a credible... Granted, this was probably well before our lifetime. When they weren't, were looking for ratings in the news. I was yeah. going to say, back when news was actually something to spread news and not to get ratings and exactly. make money. Exactly. <laughs> but one of the things we were talking about earlier is anytime there is a mass shooting, yep. typically the arguments come out that we need to lock up all the crazy people, they shouldn't be allowed access to guns, and... Obviously, these deranged people are dealing with some significant mental illness. And I'm going to let you guys speak for I think the last, I think the last few shootings that I can actually remember listening to the news on, um, that's one of the first things that they say. Like, it usually goes to that 
first. Yeah, let's look at that first, and then we'll see if there was something else. And what's particularly kind of, I think, disturbing about that and where that draws from is typically people want some kind of simple reason for why a tragedy happens, and that's an easy label to put on somebody. But what's kind of disturbing about it isn't inherently... I mean, obviously what they, what they say on the news is pretty messed up, but what really makes me sad is you can see how that directly affects people. Like on stuff like Twitter, when stuff when stories come out and it's connected to some mental illness or something, you can look at comments and see people pick up this specific kind of rhetoric that's extremely hateful. And then that carries over to what is the stereotype thought of any of those illnesses. Right. No, it just perpetuates the stigma of any mental illness, not just, you know, mental health in general. It's actually by the identity stolen, which was formerly known as Hello My Name Is Project was born out of. I actually started that project shortly after the Parkland shooting in Florida when they had all those kids and everybody was coming on. And it's like, I've been living with a mental illness pretty much my entire life. Last time I checked, I haven't killed anyone. Now... I might have and just don't remember, but I'm fairly (laughs) sure I would remember something like that. Yeah, no, you you have not. Thank you. And what's really sad, and a a lot of people don't realize this, but especially for people that are living with severe schizophrenia or severe bipolar disorder, which tends to be the two that they really like to throw out there. Yeah. They are either somewhere between four and seven times more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than they are to be a perpetrator. And typically the only person that they're really a danger to is themselves. Definitely. And yet we we see shows like Criminal Minds, and I love Criminal Minds. Don't get me wrong, that show is... It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I've seen like ten seasons (laughs) of it. I think we've watched (laughs) most all of it, yeah. But how often do they, they throw that out, that it's schizophrenic? is the the killer is obviously dealing with a psychotic break or they're they're schizophrenic or they're yeah, you hear a psychotic break it's, in it's that show every, a lot. It's almost every other episode, especially as the show goes on, because if I'm not mistaken, early on in the show, uh, they were trying to grab a lot more from like former case files and things right, and they right. didn't lean on that angle as much. But as the show went on it was very easy for them to just be like, We need somebody to commit a crime why would they commit this crime? I don't know. Maybe they were crazy. (laughs) But I think you're right. And I think that leans back towards what we talked about with the news. That goes back to, hey, instead of pulling from actual case files anymore, let's keep our ratings up and do this. Um, So I think it stems back to that again, is, is a push for ratings and what's it, a really easy thing to lean on. Oh, this whole this whole thing that's been a problem and misrepresented since the 1930s. Yeah, I was about know? to say and that's the really big problem for for authors cuz to like and people creating these shows cuz to an extent I understand why they land on the things that they do. It's not good and by any means it's very bad but again there's so much cultural shorthand there when you have the pressure to make 10 seasons or i don't know how many seasons criminal minds has gone to at that at this point i lost track yeah it's a ton of seasons when you have that many seasons of television 
the pressure to make something interesting, to make something engaging, to have a different mystery each week makes you lean on things that are historical. And again, through media portrayal, both you know actual news media and former TV shows, movies, things like that, the easiest thing to draw upon is, oh yeah, you know, they have this illness. What's really interesting to me is one of the main characters is Spencer Reed. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, who, his mother, <laughs> he is a child of a schizophrenic. Yeah. And yet oftentimes people try to code him as being autistic. Yeah, that's very odd. Which bothers me. Well, and he, in the show, throughout several of the seasons there in the middle, um, he he's trying to come to grips with, am I going to end up like this? Am I, is this my path? Well, and what's, again, what's kind of even weird about that, too, is, he, is he's not even thinking, like, oh, am I going to start, like, you know, suffering the side effects of schizophrenia and everything that is genuinely difficult to deal with. In the show, it's more framed like, ooh, he could break at any minute and become one of the killers because that's what they've portrayed schizophrenia as. There was actually an arc at one point where he was suspected of killing somebody. I do remember yeah, that one. Yeah, I remember that. Isn't that when he also got hooked on the drugs that they were giving him? Yeah. Exactly. Which was the whole reason that they thought it. There was another arc where he starts having memories of his childhood, and so he is convinced that his mother had killed somebody, which fit nicely into that schizophrenic killer, which wasn't actually what happened, and she had tried to protect him from all of that. But one of the things that, that also bothers me is that they have his mother portrayed living in a nursing home. Not yeah. even a group home, but a nursing home. Yeah. And he goes out to visit her on occasions, but it's almost like he's embarrassed by the fact that his mother is schizophrenic. And I've, I've heard where the actor has stated that he felt like Spencer Reed was autistic, and so he tried to play him in that way. And if they intended for him to be autistic, they should have made it very clear. Yeah. From the get-go, yeah. No. Well, one thing that's kind of not great about the use of autism in a lot of media isn't in like you know beyond actual examples of the use of it is the kind of cultural perception of autism in media because if you spend any time on tiktok on twitter on anything like that you'll see people being like oh this slightly autistic goofy boy or something like that when they're talking about a character they like just because he maybe is a little quirky they use terms like slightly autistic. I know you've probably never heard of this show, and you may or may not have, but Marcus Welby, MD. Ah, that's an old one, like 70s, 80s. I used right to, in there. It was in the 70s. And growing up, I wanted to be a doctor, so any medical TV show, I was all in for it. There was an episode where he is treating an autistic boy, and you could tell because of the way it was a very stereotype of what autism was. And back then, that's all autism was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this often misconception that if you're autistic, then you're developmentally delayed and you're intellectually delayed. Yeah. When in reality... It's totally untrue. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, you're a white male because, obviously, that's that's the only population that it impacts. Yeah. I, I think I was reading a statistic for it. I forget what it is. But I think it was like, 
want to say almost like 40% of women with autism go undiagnosed because the perception of it are all male dominated on what people view the traits as. I wouldn't be surprised if it was higher than that. Yeah. Now, one of the things, because I've done my own research into this, and one of the most common misdiagnoses for women that are actually on the spectrum and it, they don't find out until they're well in their adulthood is borderline personality disorder. Which, no. I was misdiagnosed at the age of 16 because I'm a prodigy and <laughs> even though you're not supposed to be diagnosed with any personality disorders before 18 and typically they don't do it until you're in your mid-20s because let's face it, before that you're basically a walking hormone and obviously... <laughs> Your brain's still developing and you're still learning and finding your place in the world and trying to figure things out. So a lot of the things that they talk about, like the impulsivity and things of that nature, because that is one of the big ones. Yeah. Or the black and white thinking, which, again, I have issues with that because especially when they refer to autistic characters, Sheldon Cooper is another Mm. really amazingly (laughs) bad representation that they have that has often really bothered me. Now, I, I didn't look this up, but I'm curious, or is, is he supposed to be autistic in the show? They go back and forth on it. Um, there's multiple times where they refer to his mother having him tested. And then there was one episode where she's like, I should have followed up on that. So it, it really depends on who you ask. Yeah, yeah to me, they pre- portray him a little more like Monk with the with the obsessive-compulsive disorder, like that you're just... According to, according to this, uh, the producers supposedly confirmed that Sheldon is not supposed to be autistic in the show. Which, there is a really great show that was first a movie and then turned into a TV show that I forgot to add to our list, so I don't know... If you ever watched it, but Parenthood. I've not watched it. I've seen previews. I've never seen an episode of it. So in Parenthood, you find out fairly early on that the son of the eldest son, because you you have the patriarch and then the the older children, and the oldest son is a... His son is Max, and he has Asperger's. Mm. Because at that time, it was still called Asperger's, not autism. Yeah. And what was really interesting is a few seasons later, they have Hank come in, who uh, Raymond Romano, I think is his name. Ray the, Romano, yeah. yeah. Ray Romano, yeah. Plays Hank. And he, find, like, going through the book and everything, because he, they form this weird friendship between Max and Hank. And Max falls in love with photography. Hank is a photographer. Mm-hmm. And so his parents take him this book to try to help him better understand Max and some of his things. And going through it, he starts recognizing himself. So he goes to get a diagnosis, but because he's well into his 40s at this point, the doctor's like, well, you could have it, or you could not. It's right there on the, the cusp of things, but whether you do or not, you are obviously finding some traits that you're having difficulty with that we can work on based off of if you were. Mm. And so that was... That's interesting. It's a really great show, and I would recommend anybody watching it because it gives a much better and more rounded view of 
autism. Yeah, plus, and, a, plus I feel like that's something that's not portrayed in media at all very often is the fact that, like, a lot of people go completely undiagnosed and not even thinking that they that they would be autistic until they're adults. A lot of times what happens with adults is they have a child that's diagnosed and then they realize, oh, wow. Because it's, especially in our generation, your moms and I, it wasn't as well-known or well-versed. Well, and it was, it was very much... One thing that I think has changed between our generation and Micah's is people being more open to being diagnosed. I think there was such a horribly portrayed stigma when we were kids. Oh, definitely. That it's like you wouldn't want to be diagnosed because then that was something that nobody would let you live down. Nobody would, like it would change the way everyone treated you, period. In some ways, I think it's a good thing. In other ways, I feel like maybe the pendulum flung a little too far. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's just, uh, in that, there's still, like, I feel anyway, it's still such a not well-understood field, even at this point. And one of the things that's interesting with that is, and this is a fact that I always find interesting, like, the first person to ever be formally diagnosed with autism died this year oh did he yeah he died in june because of the last article i saw he was still alive i didn't realize he had actually passed but yeah yeah that's how like recent an actual autism diagnosis i don't think i realized that that's crazy yeah so it is still very new and not well understood at all and so getting back to our our list of shows one of the the shows that has gotten a lot of heat for being this like horrible representation of anything is 13 reasons why Mm, yeah i read the book long before it was even thought of becoming a show and so when the show came out i was very excited to see it portrayed especially because i think in a very visual manner and so I reread the book right before I watched the show, and yes, there's definitely some problems with that show. I'm not going to d- dispute that. But I think that it, a lot of the arguments that they gave, like that it was glorifying suicide, mm. that it was glorifying drugs and sex and alcohol, which, um, okay, first of all, what media doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But I think in a lot of ways, it really did kind of highlight some of the issues that teenagers have been dealing with since I was in high school. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm willing to bet have been since Plato was in high school. So I'm curious what your thoughts are, especially Jen, because you're a youth pastor. and um, I didn't get a chance to watch this one at all, but um, I have heard the discussions on it. Um, and it is kind of split down the middle. It is, there's, I think, people that have dealt themselves with suicidal thoughts or have had any type of contact with someone that has been suicidal or died by suicide. Um, I think they're the ones that kind of look at it a little more open-mindedly 
and say, hey, um, and then the other camp that just is speaking out of complete... Well, I actually have something to add to this about the kind of the cultural context of the show. Right. It came out at a pretty bad time to come that out. That is true. That um, is very true. It came true. out a, around 2017 and was about teenagers, which this was right at the cusp of, like, the birth of prestige television. So, like, after The Sopranos and all of that, this was after all of that, after Breaking Bad, after all of these shows that kind of defined where television would be going in the next couple of years. And then right after people were kind of like, okay, we need something to kind of change up what we're doing, this came out, and people aren't too fond of things that portray teenagers and prestige television. And, like, I have not seen the show. I've heard complaints about its writing and, like, that there are embarrassing moments in it from people more my age that are just kind of like, yee, I don't really like it. It's probably because it's too accurate. Yeah, and I was about to say, and it just came out in a time where I don't think there was really anybody in the actual television sphere that wanted this kind of show. See, and that, that does help put it more into context, but one of the... The reasons that I liked it and the arguments that I saw that really irritated me and made me feel like they didn't watch it at all Yeah, were the ones where they were saying that she was blaming her suicide on everybody. Yeah. And that's not what she was doing at all. So for those who haven't seen the show, including you two, the whole premise behind it is that she has 13 tapes. Well, actually, seven and a half tapes, because they're and they're the old cassette tapes. Yeah. And she is, is at a point where she's just ready to give up, and so she sits down and she starts thinking about when did it all start? What was that first? And for me, it's what I call the breaking point, and she breaks it down. And some of the the tapes, there, some of the people are on more than one of the tapes because right. they intersect back with it. Yeah. And the main character that's in the book, that not the one that is recording the tapes, but Clay, and you hear him, and in the book, I think he was like the eighth person on these tapes, and he, he's just totally consumed by this, and he listens to them all in a single night. And in the show, they break it up more, and you you hear him while he's waiting anxiously and nervously for his name to come up. He's like, what did I ever do to you, Hannah? Because he was in love with her, but never told her. Yeah. And it's just kind of one of those things where it really shows you how often we see somebody hurting, but we don't recognize that they're hurting and that they're just, and how often they're reaching out, asking for help and getting turned away. And I don't want to spoil this for anybody that watches this. But there is, towards the end, where she reaches out to an adult and she records that conversation and then goes home and completes the act. And it is, it is a very difficult show to watch. Yeah. But it's one that I think that parents should watch with their teenagers, especially because it does talk about drugs and alcohol and bullying. And the Which, popular... shocker, those all exist in our schools. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> yeah, see, unfortunately, actually, recently would have been, quite frankly, a great cultural time for the show to come out with a lot of shows recently touching specifically on a lot of 
quote-unquote harder topics for that high schoolers run into Mm -hmm. and unfortunately running into some really like negative and equally as kind of gross betrayals of stuff with uh, stuff like Euphoria coming out that also tries to tackle some of those subjects but is created by an honestly kind of disgusting guy who really actually does glorify a lot of those aspects around these supposedly teenage characters. So one of the other shows, and I think you said you got a chance to watch like the first episode of A Million Little Things. Ah, uh, yeah, just the first episode. Micah hasn't watched yeah. it, but um... so for those again who haven't seen or even heard of the show, it's actually one that is still on the air. Actually, I think this last season they ended it because of the way that it ended. I think that was the finale for this season for the series. Mm. But the whole premise of this series series is that there's this group of friends and you find out right in the beginning that one of the core members of this group ends his life. Mm. Right, so the show starts, that because I just watched the first episode like a couple of days ago, um, the show starts with uh, introducing all four guys mm-hmm. that were these friends and then one of them is definitely like he's he's just written a letter he's about to end his life um he has these pills out and then flip back to one of the other guys um he ends up like jumping from a very high building and then the guy that's about to take the pills gets a call that their friend just died by suicide and um, he spits all the pills out and that's where they pick up. Like, that's how the show even starts in the first 15 minutes and you're just like, okay, well, I guess we're just jumping right into this topic. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely, and um, it doesn't shy away from looking at uh, the stress and turmoil and even just not knowing uh, because that, you know, of course, the whole rest of the episode, they all want to know why, why. And so, which, I mean, that's a natural question. Right. But um, it, it definitely, to me, uh, just one episode out of five seasons, <laughs> <laughs> um, it looked like they were going to handle it in a way that actually looked into the reality of things. So. Yeah, they do a really good job, and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, including you guys, to give it a try. Uh, it, it's another one of those shows that's not always easy to watch, but it really tackles a lot of the issues that we're dealing with as a society right now. You've got suicide, you've got cancer, you have depression, and it you have... Uh, an affair because you I don't remember if you find out in the yeah, first you episode do. You do. <laughs> but his wife was having an affair with another one of the, the friends and then when COVID hit one of the families have is an interracial marriage with someone I can't remember if her parents immigrated from Korea or China but their little boy Theo is getting bullied even though they're in virtual school and these kids are telling him he needs to wear a mask in his own home because it's the Asian virus. Yeah. And so they tackle all these different things. And to me, this was one of those shows that really made me, I don't want to say happy. 
made you happy with Hollywood for once in your life. Yeah, that's always that's always a funny thing about talking with stuff like this is like sometimes you're like, wow, that's a great portrayal. I'm gonna go cry for a while. Right. <laughs> I was like, okay. But not just that, the fact that it feels like we're finally at a place in our society where we're really willing. To actually to have a conversation about these things, and then you have other shows like Good Doctor, everyone's oh. favorite mm. show. I have you know, I watched shows. almost the full first season of that, trying to be like, oh. They're going to portray a doctor with autism. <laughs> Let's see what they do here. Mm. And I kept trying to give it a chance and trying to give it a chance, and I just, I gave up. <laughs> I, I wanted so badly to like this show. Me too. And there were a few episodes where they almost thought about getting it right. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but it, it becomes this inspiration porn and this really bad stereotype well that was what bothered me so bad because i have i've been around people on the spectrum since high school maybe before that i just didn't know um but that, that's been a lot of years <laughs> i've been out of high school a lot of years um but like that show hit every stereotype that it that most of the time is not even close to true. Yeah. And, and see, and what really bothers me is some, especially because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> and so I've gone back and I've tried watching more of the shows. And Sean actually ends up getting married. And he's having a baby. And you watch some of the behaviors that he's having and they let him get away with his junk. And I'm like, really though? And then you have people that are lambasting atypical for the way that they portray a teenage boy. Yeah. And his behaviors. And I really felt like that would, a, atypical is a much more realistic view and not only that, but it, it shows how it affects the entire family unit. And then you have Elsa who's the uber hmm, autism Helicopter mom. parent <laughs> slash autism mom. And it, in her, I've met people like her, and I want to smack them repetitively. And I get it. As a parent myself, like, I get how you could get there. Um, you know, especially, you know, you get the diagnosis, and then it's like, I have to protect this child. Like, yeah. I have to. But helicopter parenting is not how you protect a child a child with or without a mental illness yeah. well, one of the reasons that I like it Micah you're of this age group and you're of the male persuasion <laughs> Yes. would you say that Sam is a just typical your age group yes we've moved over to atypical yeah, now, I think, I the think TV show one thing that I really have loved about watching Atypical is that I think Sam is, like, an extremely relatable character. I really love, like, I love the way Sam is portrayed, the stuff he goes through, the way he engages with stuff. It, like, personally, like, I really connect with him as a character, which is very rare, and I feel, and I feel bad for saying this, it's very rare for characters who are portrayed with autism to have, like, for me to feel like a strong connection with them as a character, because usually they're stereotyped into not having a character. 
Um, It's a very good point. (laughs) They also tend to be stereotyped as somebody who doesn't want relationships. Yeah. Who is very, like, they they are very standoffish, and they they just want to be left alone to go play with their trains. Yeah. Um, One thing that's interesting, too, and I know it's kind of tying back to what we were talking about, but it just kind of makes me somewhat happy about this, too, and kind of moving forward, is, like, looking at The Good Doctor... Uh, I know zero people who like that show, whether they care about (laughs) autism or not. And I know a lot of people who really like Atypical. I would be curious to see the Korean version. Yeah, I saw that it was originally a Korean show. Of The Good Doctor? Yeah, Yeah, they even say it in the beginning that it's based off of another show. And I admit it, I am one of those stupid Americans who doesn't have the patience for subtitles. <laughs> oh, that's sad. I'm sad. Well, for me, it has more to do with the fact that it takes me out of the story, plus I have trouble reading, so if I'm focusing all my time reading, I can't get lost. Yeah, that's definitely a difficulty even for me, because, I mean, I have dyslexia. It's really sometimes difficult to do subtitles, and but... The other part of it is, too, I don't understand the cultural references enough. That's yeah. true. That it makes it really hard for me to get into a story, even if it's dubbed. Now, there was a, another show that's not related to this, but it was on Disney Plus, Onse, that is actually dubbed in English, so I didn't have to like read subtitles. Yeah. But it is a show that is in Spanish, and because of... The way that I grew up, I had some of the cultural understanding of what right. was going on so that I could watch. Yeah. You have to be really engrossed in watching stuff of that culture to always, like, to really engage with a lot of, especially TV media from different languages and cultures. So, another show, and I, it was one that you reminded me of, Jen Perception. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, that is one that uh, we watched uh, right when it came out. So we started watching it weekly when they started producing it. And um, I I really think they do a good job. Like they really, they, they tend to steer clear of the stereotypes of schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. They t- try to portray what he is going through in a very realistic way. There was an episode, I don't remember which one it was, because I binge-watched it. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of all start to run together when you do yeah. that. But I remember sending you, like, I actually went and looked up the verbatim quote so that I could send it to you because it so perfectly describes something in that show. And there was an episode where they had... So the main character, for those of you who aren't aware of this amazing show, is a college professor who does consulting work with the FBI, and he's a neuropsychologist who also happens to have an MD, and he's schizophrenic. Who also happens to have yeah. schizophrenia. <laughs> yeah. And so there was this episode where there was a young man who gets into some trouble, and there's a judge that had given him a diversion program instead of sending him to jail that ends up getting killed. And so obviously it was the schizophrenic young man who was disturbed that killed him because he became kind of obsessed with her. But in his world, she was this like alien goddess. Mm. And it was just, 
it was so nice to see how he went and defended them. And then for once, it really wasn't the schizophrenic and how mistreated this poor kid was. But he, it was it was an interesting sh- You found it, didn't you? I did. So, uh, yeah, the quote that you sent me said um, it was him talking to the FBI agent. And he said, that's why I don't talk about my diagnosis, because then it becomes who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, I've, I've not seen the whole show. I've only seen a couple episodes here and there. But even in my experience, especially being that schizophrenia is such a commonly drawn upon thing in media, it's anytime a show or a movie tries to, at least tries to give humanity and like try and bash some of the stereotypes of that, it's really refreshing to watch. Um, and to see him kind of every day have to deal with it in a way that's not like, ooh, spooky, look at all of these scary things. Isn't this so scary? Um, and, like, you know, it tries to actually humanize what he's going through. Absolutely. So the funny thing is, because I'd watched Atypical again before rewatching Perception, and he plays Sam's professor, her professor, when he's at school. Mm. Oh, funny, I haven't gotten to see college yet. <laughs> We've only yet. seen two, the first two seasons of and so I'm, like, watching Professor, and, like, and watching Perception, <laughs> is like, holy cow, this is... Same. And it was, it, it was, because in, in both instances, he's not, like, letting Sam get away with using autism as an excuse. As a, yeah. There was an episode in particular where he's supposed to draw the essence of his animal, which is Stumpy the penguin. And Sam is like really struggling with this because again, they tend to portray autistics as being very literal thinkers, which we can be to an extent. Yeah. But we can also be very creative. We just need to have an understanding of what you're looking for. And so he ends up and he creates this really cool drawing with her schedule. Because he recognizes that part of the reason that Stumpy and him like bonded so well is because they both have their own schedule, their own routine, and because Sam was so in tune with that, he was actually able to go to the trainer and say, hey, she's sick. Yeah. Which saved her life. And it's just, it's little things like that that they give me a sense of hope. Yeah. That maybe, just maybe. Yeah, and I think... I think, like, looking at our list of TV shows that we were we were looking at to kind of record this episode, um, you know, the older ones tended to be those that um, got it wrong, got it really wrong. Painfully wrong. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's refreshing to see that, you know, from the early 2020s, you know, 2018, 2019 through now, uh, we're starting to see some actual, hey, maybe we should be looking at this a little bit differently. Well, again, and the cultural conversation around all of these different topics has changed so much in a lot of ways. And yeah, sometimes that can have some negative side effects on a lot of platforms like social media, especially um, when it kind of swings too far the other direction, like you mentioned. But one of the things that that has done that's kind of, in my opinion, a universal good is it's given a voice to a lot of people, especially with 
mental illness or any kind of disability to actually have a platform. Whereas before, there was no way. If something was getting talked about having to do with mental illness or disability or anything like that, it was somebody else who didn't really have to deal with that, thinking like, oh, wouldn't this be like this if this was happening? Uh, and now so many of these stories and these shows come from people who actually have real-life experience right. and care about the subjects. The problem is, and this is one of the things that is true, not just with representation of mental illness, but with a lot of different things, is that there still seems to be this fear of asking someone who's actually living in this world to come on as writers. Yeah. Directors actually have that's definitely true autistic actors actors man that's what kills me i'm like why why do we i mean and don't get me wrong some of these people that are neurotypicals are doing a good job portraying somebody but there's no reason to not get i will say i was encouraged when i did a little research into atypical and i don't remember when they 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 ended up bringing in a consultant for the script writing and then when he starts his transition group and he's in college I think it was season three a lot of the actors that you see him interacting with in that group are actually on the spectrum so that it's frustrating to me though because when you see them they tend to go for the people that that look the stereotype <laughs> look yeah. and sound like it yeah yeah, yeah. and so on the, on the one hand yeah I'm, I'm i'm so happy to see that and i'm i'm so beyond thankful to the actors that are coming out and saying hey yeah guess what i'm autistic or hey guess what yeah i am bipolar yeah carrie definitely. fisher was one that was very open about her struggle with bipolar disorder yeah and yet I mean, the, especially there, there are people at DragonCon who, like, idolize her because of... And she's like, look, yeah, my life's a mess. I'm not going to hide it. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, to touch on that point even a little bit is, like, even even outside of something as stereotyped and negative it, around industries like Hollywood and different stuff like that as, like, mental illness and stuff like that, even just... The movie Run a couple years ago that came out and has a character who is paralyzed from the waist down and they actually got an actress who is paralyzed from the waist down and even that was like whoa they actually got a paralyzed actress (laughs) amazing how crazy like even something just as simple and not as stigmatized as being paralyzed it's rare to get an actor who actually fits that and there are some instances where I understand why they can't because they need to be able to show the actor that was able-bodied before yeah. and getting around without the, the chair or without right. the cane or whatever. But I do think that more and more we need to be able... And as we wrap this up, there's there's one character, actually two, that I really want to touch on. I knew, I knew we wouldn't yeah. leave without touching it's... on it. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, Star Trek has been a lifelong fandom. I, and I, I told my mom E.T. was gorgeous when he was, when I was four. <laughs> I fell in love with Alf and planned to marry him when I was like six. So it should be no shock that <laughs> Star Trek is my fandom. And I remember in my 
in high school, Voyager came out my senior year. And yeah. I was so excited about that. And watching Voyager helped me get through college because college was not a fun experience. And a few seasons in, they brought in the character Seven of Nine. Correct. And even before that, you had the Doctor, the emergency hologram. And what was interesting to me is really watching the hog, the EMH Doctor's arc, character arc, and the way that it was developed. And a lot of people like to use Data as an example of someone that is autistic. Data is an android. Exactly. <laughs> and I hate when they do that for that very reason. Yeah, because that's yeah. very much a stereotype. And that is actually, it's kind of insulting, actually. <laughs> um, I'm just going to go there with that. Yeah. Whereas I feel like if they used the doctor as an example, because the doctor's program was based off of a real human. Right. The programmer who designed him and his attitude and it does have very autistic traits, we'll just put it that way. And you you come in, you get seven or nine oh, yeah. that is raised by the Borg and she gets pulled from the collective and she's not real happy about it. And then she slowly learned to assimilate back into human society. And I got to meet the actress Jerry Ryan and actually broke down in tears and she was very, very understanding about it because Seven of Nine is a character that I could really relate to with the PTSD and the way that she portrayed it in a few episodes, exactly like just spot on perfection. But then watching the interactions between the doctor and her. And so basically you have this guy who's autistic teaching this person who was raised by the Borg dealing with serious social limitations yeah how to interact with other humans and integrate into the human society and i cannot remember the name of the two episodes but there are two episodes that it really like just brought it home for me but one of them is where seven wants to start dating and so the doctor oh, I remember that episode yeah that's been and, a long time ago yeah. and the doctor wants is like teaching her and he's falling in love with her but she's falling in love with Chakotay instead, and so he kind of gets heartbroken over it. And then, it, again, go watch these because they're amazing shows. Uh, it just that was something that really hit home for me because it, even though it wasn't necessarily written that way. Yeah. Because back in the '90s, we didn't talk about this no, stuff. No, we did not. And yet you, you see this on screen, and yeah, it's it's at a couple thousand years in the future, but it gives you a little bit of hope, and for this geeky little kid, it gave me somebody that I could look to and say, hey, somebody gets this, somebody understands. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Are there any characters that really spoke to you? In Star Trek itself, or just, just in general? general. Um, General me do. Just not General Zod, because that would be odd. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Mike has already said his connection with Sam in Atypical. Um, Yeah, definitely. Um, Which, again, coming into Atypical, I didn't really know if it was going to be something that was good or not. And, you know, I've been like having a lot of specific sensory things lately and seeing even a show that 
does a good job of understanding what that's like as a teenager <laughs> is even good. But just like so much of his character is really just kind of emotionally comforting to watch play out so much of him and having it like specific interests help define a lot of how he views the world is very similar to how I work personally and seeing something that can kind of explore through that just makes me really happy and makes me feel like I can kind of dive more into a lot of weird random interests I have I think one of the things that I liked about that in the way that, and especially hearing how you connected with them, is that just because somebody is autistic doesn't mean that somebody that is not autistic can't relate to that person because at the end of the day, we're a lot more alike than we are different. It's yeah. just that if you have a neurotypical brain, your brain functions differently than someone who is neuroatypical. And with you having dyslexia and colorblindness, that is actually considered a atypical yeah. brain in just in a different way. Yeah, I actually did quite a bit of research into that too. And a lot of, I mean, dyslexia as an actual thing forms from a kind of sensory overload and a lot of the symptoms and things and side effects I mean, as a lot of things like that do cross over with autism. Yeah, and I, I found out when I was in first or second grade, or more accurately, my parents found out. But because we moved around so much, they didn't keep the records up. And so I had to learn to adapt even more so. And then when I found out about 13 years ago that they suspected that I was on, at that point, the Asperger's spectrum and... looking back at it now and after doing the research and part of the reason that I I took all the tests was to prove them wrong (laughs) (laughs) because there was just so much negativity and so many really bad stereotypes and I had already been dealing with all the other negative I was 16 the first time I was in the hospital and unlike today it I'm sure I would probably still would have been picked on a little bit and yeah, teased, yeah. but nowhere near to the point that I was in high school. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't just bullied. I was abused by my classmates, and teachers turned a blind eye to it. Yeah. As they did back then. So I just, and that's kind of what I meant. Like the, It's almost like nowadays kids get these diagnoses, whether they're accurate or not, and they wear them like a badge of honor. Yeah. And it almost becomes an excuse for their behavior, which is not what it should be. And it's not what it's intended to be. Yeah. So, do we give you time to think of one? Well, I can't. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I can't really think of, like, a TV show that I've had that kind of connection with the character on. Um, and, you know, I've I've not... I've been on this show before, so the podcast before that... Um, talking about my bout with depression and um, even uh, suicidal thoughts as a as a teen and coming out of that and um, so it's not that I there's nothing to connect with right it's just that I haven't really seen a television show that has I think portrayed that 
in a way that hits me personally. So what about a movie or comic book character or even book? Um, I'll see, there you just threw me. <laughs> you know, I, you know I t I'll go back to this and say what you will, because we've never talked about this show before, um, and I know our time's pretty much up, but um, if you go back to the show House. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, House. Um, yeah, not a great portrayal of, but... If I'm going to go TV show and pick something that there was some connection to his actions and his thought process, um, there was depression in his life. Oh, and definitely. he was definitely acting out of that in his work and everything else, how he treated people, how he pushed his friends away and that kind of thing. So I think if I were to pick a character, <laughs> it sounds horrible. He was a horrible person. <laughs> but uh, I think maybe I would go there. I have to admit, it is funny that you bring up House because a lot of times people would try to like say that he was on the autistic or Asperger's, and they even said it flat out Absolutely in the show. Not. Wilson even pointed it out at one point because they were all trying to diagnose him with it, and he's like, he's not. No. He's just being a jerk. He's a jerk. Like, yeah, he's just a jerk. He's <laughs> that's, That was it. And he was. I mean, his, but not that I, you know... No, that was just connect with him being a jerk because I'm not. But, <laughs> um, but I could see like a lot of times, I I liked his character so much because it portrayed some things I went through in my own life. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like I mean you you don't have to morally inherently justify characters that you and like relate to in some aspects. Like right. even something like the movie Raging Bull. I really like its portrayal of dealing with anger issues in Raging Bull. But uh, Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull is like the worst person the worst in the world. <laughs> he is an, like he is horribly abusive, both verbally and physically. And I would never be like, oh yeah, I relate to him like that. But I do think the movie does a really good job of actually talking about a struggle with rage. Right. Well, thank you guys. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up and i hope you will uh, join us again next time i mean you guys obviously will we will <laughs> when we talk about movies movies and the way that mental illness is portrayed so until next time have a great day bye, bye.